0: You are now listening to The Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Today, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the criminal justice system. And to understand the criminal justice system, we're going to go right back to that good old Palmetto State. So welcome to The Griot Daily, the only podcast that will tell you about the first mass incarceration. Again, I know I've said it in previous podcasts, but some of y'all, I know y'all, some of y'all be skipping ahead or be skipping around on the podcast. So, again, I think it is important to note that uh, for most of South Carolina's history, it has been a majority black state. And after the Civil War, uh, again, all of those enslaved people were free. They had the right to vote, they had the right to educate themselves, and South Carolina was really worried, not just about, uh, you know, black people involved in the political system, but remember now, once slavery was deemed unconstitutional, the South, which was primarily agricultural, especially South Carolina, who was... One of the biggest producers of cotton in the world, right um and and that's where cotton came from. you know uh there are studies that show that during uh the time just before the Civil War, the value of cotton was worth more than all of the manufacturing products uh in the country, so South Carolina. And cotton and the slave economy was not just central to the state of South Carolina, but to the country. And once, you know, you take away a free labor force, how are they going to make money? Right. Like, you know, Amazon got robots, but I don't like the robot industry was very, very limited back in the 1860s, the mid 1860s. Um, it, it, you know, got better a few years later, but. Back then, when you lived in a state that was primarily agricultural, the whole economy basically collapsed. And they had to figure out a way to keep that economy rolling in those states where so many of those rich white planters were basically bankrupted. Well, how did they do that? Well, first, you know, when we talk about Uh, the idea of that 40 acres and a mule, that general order that supposedly gave black people 40 acres and a mule. And in South Carolina, there were actual black people who got their 40 acres and didn't turn it back in or, or redeem it. But that order also remember that order also said that, Hey, we want the black people to stay on those plantations, and work, and we'll make sure they pay you. Same is true for the 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 executive order. It's not. It wasn't an executive order. It was a military order that created what we call now Juneteenth in Galveston. That order also said, "Stay where you are and work." Well, you know, black people ain't falling for that, right? Um, and and I can't imagine how hard it was for those white people. Because I bet you, like, first of all, the cookout after slavery ended, I bet you that was one of the greatest part. I bet you they were cooking all night, frying chicken uh, for that that cookout. But a lot of those people were like, man, forget that. Because when we think about plantations, we think about people who were picking cotton, who were, uh, you know, laborers who were plowing the fields. But we have to remember that those entire plantations didn't just run off Black labor, they ran off Black intellect. You know, one of my ancestors, for instance, he lived and worked on a plantation, but he was a blacksmith. So, his so-called owner actually hired him out as the blacksmith for the entire county. Well, he had a skill that was valuable. So why would he stay on that plantation? And the same is true for a lot of the black people who were on plantations. They weren't just laborers. They were agricultural experts, they were horticulturists, Uh, they were skilled cooks, they were skilled at child care, they were skilled at engineering. Uh, You know, I visited a plantation once while writing a story, and this plantation, the Magnolia Plantation in South Carolina, uh, it was right after what they called a hundred-year flood. And I asked them, how did this plantation at the nexus of a river and the Atlantic Ocean, survived that 100-year flood. And they said, well, the enslaved people who worked here, they created this system of dams and levees that allow us to flood the fields when, you know, when the tide is really high, and then we can just let the water out when it gets back low. So it, you know, kind of dams and prevents this plantation from flooding. Well, the people who built that way back 250 years ago were engineers. They weren't just laborers. You know, um, again, you don't think of slavery just in the context of labor. You have to think about the intellectual property that was stolen from those enslaved Africans, too. Well, these people had all of these skills, and they were going to make their own money off of them now. They were going to hire themselves out to some of the smaller plantations. They were going to start their own um, farms, right? They uh, South Carolina had a, a bank, essentially. That black legislature created a bank that would buy the land off these improp- impoverished former slave owners, and black people could borrow that money and pay it back over time. So many of them started their own farms. The Freedmen Bureau also gave loans. They uh, created bank accounts. There was a Freedmen's Bank that created banks that black people could start their own businesses. Um, they would cook for each other. Remember Harriet Tubman you know, didn't earn money during the Civil War, even though she worked in the army. She sold pies. To other black people to make money. So these people had skills and they were gonna try to find a way to make their own money. So, what did South Carolina's legislature do when the white people got back in charge? Well, they created what they call black codes. And we know a little about the black codes. Uh, People talk about, you know, um, the vagrancy laws, for instance, which made it illegal for people not to be working. Uh, It gave any white man the authority to arrest a black man. Um, It forbade black people from refusing to work on their plantation farm. So you could be, you know, creating your own business. But if your master said, well, he's being a vagrant, you were arrested. And it wasn't a judge that you would have to go in front of. A lot of the times in, in South Carolina, especially, these were just people out of the community who could deem you guilty. And that is what created. South Carolina as the first state of mass incarceration. Now. Those prisons that were built um, did a lot of them existed before the Civil War, to be fair. But before the Civil War, in the South, the predominant person, the the average person who was in a prison, who was serving in prison, was white, male, or an ethnic European. In, In the state of Georgia, there were only six black people incarcerated in the entire state in 1860, right before the Civil War. But for some reason, because of these black codes, because of these vagrancy laws, because of these laws, and here's the important law, that made it illegal for a black person to learn a skill from another black person, they funneled all of those formerly enslaved people into the prison system and it wasn't just out of animus it wasn't just out of economic necessity see what south carolina created was a for-profit prison system see not only would they send those black men to jail but the prisons would lease out those black men to work on the plantations of those former slave owners And in a state that had been decimated economically by the Civil War, they had found a cash cow, the mass incarceration system. And that's why many of those states who signed that 13th Amendment outlawing slavery insisted on that clause being included, except as a punishment for a crime. And that's how America created a mass incarceration system that was predominantly and disproportionately African American. They called it slavery by another name. And that's why it's important for us to remember that when left to our own devices we will seek to create economic opportunity for ourselves that's why it's important that you subscribe to this podcast, download tell a friend and download that Grio streaming service because we talk about stuff like this all the time and that's why we always leave you with a famous black saying and today's black saying is if you can't do the time, then don't do the crime, unless you're black. And they'll figure out a way for you to do the time. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five star review, download the GRIO app, subscribe to the show, and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcasts at thegrio.com. You are now listening to the GRIO's Black Podcast Network. Black Culture Amplified.
1: I'm political scientist, author and professor Dr. Christina Greer, and I'm host of The Blackest Questions on the Grio's Black Podcast Network. This person invented ranch dressing around 1950. Who are they? I have no idea. This all began as an exclusive Black History Trivia Party at my home in Harlem with family and friends, and they got so popular It seemed only right to share the fun with our griot listeners. Each week we invite a familiar face on the podcast to play. What was the name of the person who was an enslaved chief cook for George Washington and later ran away to freedom? In 1868, this university was the first in the country to open a medical school that welcomed medical students of all races, genders, and social classes. What university was it?
0: No, th- this is why I like doing stuff with you, because I leave educated. I was not taught this in Alabama public schools.
1: Question yeah. number three, you ready? Yes, i okay. to, to redeem myself. How do we go from Kwanzaa to like these obscure- Get out- a sport, <laughs> darling. Get this is a sport. like the New York Times crossword from a Monday to a Saturday right or wrong, because all we care about is the journey and having some fun while we do it. I'm excited and also a little nervous. Oh, listen, no need to be nervous. And as I tell all of my guests, this is an opportunity for us to educate ourselves because Black history is American history. So we're just gonna have some fun. Listen, some people get zero out of five, some people get five out of five. It doesn't matter, we're just gonna be on a little intellectual journey together. Latoya Cantrell? That's right, Mary Latoya Cantrell. Hercules Posey. Born in 1754, and he was a member of the Mount Vernon slave community widely admired for his culinary skills. I'm going to guess afro Close, it's Afro-nation. So last year, according to my research, it's Samuel Wilson, AKA Falcon. (laughs) Wrong, wrong. <laughs> I, I am I am disputing this. I'm very, 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 very 99.9999 sure that it is Representative John Lewis, who is also from the state of Alabama. that lets let you know, Christina, we got some goodness come out of Alabama. There is something in the water in Alabama, and you are absolutely correct. The harder they come. Close. Oh, wait, uh, the harder they fall? That's right. I'm one of those people
0: that, that just changes one word. <laughs> I mean, in, I know the phone too well. I just don't know nothing today. It's I'm going to pour myself a little water while you tell me the answer.
1: The answer is Seneca Village, which began in 1825 with the purchase of land by a trustee of the AME Zion Church.
0: You know why games like this make me nervous? I don't know if I know enough black. Do I know enough how black am I? Oh, my Lord. They We're going to find out in public.
1: So give us a follow, subscribe, and join us on The Blackest Questions.